Good evening. It is good to be together on a Sunday evening and worship God. There's just not another worship service exactly like the Sunday evening's times together. And if you're a guest, we're glad you're here. And what a, uh, an honor it is to be able to have a time where we can come together as God's family and pour out our love and adoration to him in song and study of his word and in prayer. If you'd like to be open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Philippians, the third chapter. And you notice from this morning's lesson, all we're able to do is just pick out some points in the book of Philippians. And, uh, and we're going to do that tonight. And, and I know in one sense, kind of jumping around a book is not the best way to study, but we are going to try to study these, these points that we are making in context. Uh, it's just we won't be able to stay at each one very long. Uh, what a great day it's been. I, I've heard of at least three classes, and, and there's probably more than that, that have gotten together today uh, for lunch. And uh, it is always good to be able to get together with our Bible classes. If you're not involved in a Sunday morning Bible class or a Wednesday evening Bible class, please know that we have classes for all ages and we love it when people come and are new to a class. And so if you're fearful of I'd be out of place or whatever it might be, please know you won't be. We would love to have you to become a part of our Bible classes. What a blessing they are. Also, the stateside missions uh, meeting took place this afternoon at five and, and what a great uh, meeting it was, but also just the anticipation of that campaign and to think that probably there will be souls that are brought to the Lord during that. And that's just amazing to think about that, that we can, God lets us have a little part. He lets us have a little hand in changing someone's eternity. And that's just really exciting to think about. We are thinking about thriving today. We want to all thrive spiritually. We're thinking about sometimes in transitions, it can be uncomfortable because we feel like we're a puzzle piece that we don't know exactly where to fit. But you remember the plea this morning is we don't have to know everything about the future. All we need to know is where we place our confidence. And this morning we made the plea to place our confidence with God. And if we keep our life with God, all of the unknowns will in essence take care of their self. Now with that, we made an announcement this morning and I won't dwell on it, but I do want to give another reminder. If you are, are, are of varsity age, please know that there are Sunday morning and Wednesday night Bible classes available this summer. And there are a lot of activities for your age. And so if you're graduating from high school and you're transitioning into this age, or if you are a part of this congregation or a guest, please note that if you send a text to 81010 at MJ Varsity, you will then receive updates of things that are happening. And so we would love to be able to keep you updated in that way. And also you see the Twitter and Facebook on that. So please, please take advantage of that. Uh, I'm going to have my notes here and just let me warn you, if I scrub them, we're going to be off because it's going to fall on the floor and you'll just have to bear with me. Uh, but I can't keep all of us on track if I don't have my notes on this particular lesson. And so uh, bear with me. Here's what I'd like to do over the next few minutes. I'd like for us to think about if you're in a time of transition, what can I do? If I'm in the one of transition, what can I do? But then let's think about second, what will God do? And then third, let's think about what can we do? So what can I do? What can God do? And what can we do? What can I do? In times of transition, I need to do what I ought to be doing every day 
as a Christian. I need to be pursuing Christ. I can gain Christ. Look, if you will, at Philippians, the first, the third chapter. In Philippians, the third chapter, you remember the first part of this chapter we looked at quickly this morning to have no confidence in the flesh. Well, if we don't have confidence in the flesh, where do we place our confidence? We place our confidence. Remember the word confidence has to do with trust and reliability and, and uh, yielding ourselves to because we trust. And so we don't yield ourselves to ourself and we shouldn't yield ourselves to peer pressure. We should yield ourselves to God. And, and in essence, in this paragraph, it's all about Christ. And I'd like for you to notice how we can gain Christ. Look at verse seven, but what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Now you may say, well, that's kind of a strange way to say I, I want to gain Christ, but did you notice the language? The reason he chose that word there was because he talked about things that he lost and things that he was going to gain. If we're going to gain Christ, what do we have to lose? We have to lose self and we have to lose anything about our life that we would place above Christ. But then those things that we lose, so to speak, what if in turn we could then switch it around and say, but you know what? I won't put that above Christ, but I could use that in serving Christ. And without going into a deep study of that, that's what he does here. He gives a list of things. And, and in essence, what he's saying was at one time, I put all of these things in the category of this is where I found my confidence. But then he says, now Conum is lost. But then he turns around and says, but now if I could use these to magnify Christ, I would use them to magnify Christ. So can you gain Christ? Yes, absolutely. I can gain Christ if I'm willing to keep Christ preeminent, if I'm willing to count all things for loss so that I can gain Christ, then I can gain Christ. Now, on this same subject, not moving forward, but look at verse nine, and, and we don't have time to develop this, but, but look at verse nine. He also wanted to be found in him. He's talking about the same point. He's just using different language to describe it so we have a fuller picture. And then, so he wants to gain Christ. In, in verse nine, he wants to be found in Christ. Look at verse 10, that I may know Christ. Remember, we, we talked about this morning, I can know God, I can know Christ, I can gain Christ. Well, if we're going to gain Christ, be found in Christ, know Christ, what are we gonna have to do? Let, read with me verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. So if I'm going to gain Christ, if I'm going to know Christ, what's the next two things that he brings up in this passage? He brings up the fact that I'm going to have to be living beyond this earth. Listen, if this earth is my love, if this earth is my priority, I can't really gain Christ. I can be religious and I can, I can talk like a Christian a lot of the time and I can act like a Christian a lot of time, but the real core of Christianity is living for the resurrection. The real core of, the re of, of Christianity is saying, I believe in the resurrected Lord and I will do anything to stand with the resurrected Lord. Oh, but now wait a minute, Paul, what do you mean anything? Notice the rest of verse 10 to be a partaker, 
to have fellowship with what? His suffering. We can't have the resurrection of the Lord unless we're willing to participate in the suffering that first put the Lord into death. Christ suffered and died and was resurrected. We want the resurrection of the Lord. We're going to have to be willing, if we're going to gain Christ, we're going to have to be willing to suffer whatever it takes to stand with Christ. And again, I emphasize to you the good news. Any one of us here can do it. Every one of us can gain Christ. We just have to decide what is the priority going to be in our life and will we do that, keep Christ the highest priority in our life no matter what the cost. The second thing that I'd like for you to see is that not only can we gain Christ, but we can be focused on Christ. Let's just read on in this next paragraph. You see verse 12 and 13. And for time's sake, I'm going to jump right down uh, to verse 13. Notice it says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, uh, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach. Notice these strong, active words. I'm reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Hey, Paul, are, are, are you really like, as you move toward Christ, you talked about gaining Christ, like how intense is this? Is this like, oh, I was baptized one time and, and now I'm a Christian and, and now, you know, you just kind of put the autopilot on and, and you just kind of go to school in the fall and it's not much effort. You go to work and it's not much effort. You go and live at your home and it's not much effort. And Paul says, that's, that's not the Christ I serve. The Christ I serve, it's a diligent effort. I press toward the mark. I reach toward. And this word press here, I don't know what English word ought to be used here. And so therefore, and I don't have the scholarly ability to tell you that's not a real good translation. But I just want to tell you, when you do a word study on that word press, there is a much, much deeper meaning than just that English word press. The idea in the Greek here is that it's energy that is willing to suffer. It's the idea of being willing to be persecuted. And so when he says, I press toward the mark, in essence, what he's saying is, you can hurt me in any way you want to hurt me. And keep in mind, this is a guy talking that's been persecuted a whole lot. And so he's saying, you can hurt me any way you want to hurt me. I would be willing to suffer as I move toward Christ. That's all wrapped up in that word press toward the mark. Well, what, what mark is it? Any of you are marksmen? Any of you like to go out with a bow and arrow or with a rifle or a pistol and shoot? What, what do you do? I mean, how much fun is it to just go out and sling some arrows and, and just wherever direction they go, that's fine. Shoot some bullets. And, nobody does that. What do you do when you, when you go out and say, hey, let's set up a target. You get back and, and then the idea is, can, can you hit that target? Now, you know what the next question is going to be, but I want you to let this hit the depths of your heart. What's your target? Really? Not to answer out loud, but in the depths of your heart, what is your target? What are you really trying to hit? Paul knew beyond any shadow of a doubt his greatest ambition in life was to press toward the mark of that high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He knew 
that he wanted on that great day of resurrection to live for an eternity with the resurrected Lord. That was his high mark. That was that high calling. That was his mark that he says, I press toward it. Well, those are two things. Now, there's a lot of other things in Philippians, but I think those are two very important things. We, we left this morning's lesson with the idea that I can live life and, and not have confidence in the flesh. I can put my confidence in the Lord. I can gain Jesus Christ. I can diligently be focused on the Lord and make him my highest priority. But what will God do? Look over, if you will, with me, the fourth chapter. And, and I'd, I'd like for you to notice something that, that God says he'll do in verse 6. He says that he'll remove anxiety if we just put our trust in him and pray. Look at what he says in the fourth chapter in verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Let's go ahead and read verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's easy in life to worry about things. But the question is, when you do have a concern, and it's legitimate, you know, if you, if you could honestly say, oh, I'm never concerned about anything, you kind of have to worry about you. Like, what kind of life is it if you really have no concerns at all? And so then when you say, well, what do you do? When something really weighs heavy on you, what do you do with it? Do, do you nurture that, that concern so much so that it becomes worry, it becomes anxiety and, and you just let it create a, 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 a storm in your heart and there's no peace? Or do you trust God? Do you trust God enough to say, I'm going to go to God in prayer. First Peter 5 and 7, I'm going to cast my cares upon him because I know he cares for me. And I know he can do what I can never do. I know he knows what I don't know. I know he loves more than I can ever imagine loving. I know his promises are real and he will keep them. And what if we could instead say, you know what? Instead of carrying all of this anxiety around, I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to lay my burdens down and give them to him. What else will God do? Well, along this very same, well, let me real quickly mention to you, I love what Brandon Ogden said uh, going back to those surveys I mentioned to you this morning. And, and I'd like for you to notice his answer reveals the fact that he knows scripture. I'd like for you to notice how he ties prayer and peace together in his answer here. And people that really know scripture and they really know prayer they know that the outcome of that is peace. Notice what he says. And, and remember, any of you graduates, any of you college age, this was the advice he was giving about how to thrive during your college years or in the military or whatever it may be. He said, pray daily and like a lifeline. Don't you love that? Like a lifeline that few people have. Depend on God during the hardest times. Look, you in the military... You're going to have some hard days. You going to college, you're going to have some hard days. You're going to have days where, where some of your peers are just rude. They're just mean. They're just thoughtless. What are you going to do? 
You'll strike back and be just like them? Are you going to cast that care upon God and find peace, not from trying to find it through vengeance, but to find true peace by praying to God? He says, perform like you are performing for the Lord. You see, that changes things. How are you going to act? Like you're doing it for the Lord or like you're doing it for people? Influence others during this time Others are interested in where your, your foundation of peace comes from. Isn't that beautiful? And I told you the story about Brandon this, this morning. And there were a lot of people that were drawn to him. They saw something different in his life. And that's no different for anybody that's living the Christian life in a surrounding that is not very Christ-like. And so if you find yourself in the next phase of your life in a, in a surrounding where maybe your fleshly nature is saying, I couldn't live the Christian life here because nobody's living the Christian life. That's not a good thought. You ought to be saying, wow, when I live the Christian life here, it's really going to make a great statement for the kingdom because it's going to stand out because nobody else here is living that life. And think the difference you can make in that kind of surrounding and that kind of life. This next slide is very similar to what we just read, but you know what else God will do? Not only can, can you cast your anxiety on God and, and he'll take care of it, but, but God will also guard your heart. Did you notice that last verse that we read? And the peace of God will surpass all understanding. It'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ. And so that verse seven is linked to prayer back in verse six, but when he says your hearts and minds, that mind goes down to the next verse in verse eight. And notice what he says for us to think on. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. What does the word meditate mean? The idea of meditation is to think on something. So now let's, let's keep this in context. If we take this in context, what did he say? He said, I want your life to be one where you really trust God so much that you take anything you're concerned with and you pray about it. And then he says, now I want you to let God guard your heart. You, you could let all these anxieties just take over your life and your heart just become a terrible storm. But what if instead you let God guard it? How? Pray about it. But then second, the heart and mind are connected. Spiritual heart. The heart and mind are connected. And so not only do you need to pray, but you need to think about what, what are you bringing in to that mind? He says, let me give you a list of things that you need to spend some time thinking about. Now, when you look at down that list... Things that are true, noble, which means honest, just. How, how do you treat people if you're going to treat them justly? Pure. If you're going to keep things that are impure out of your life, what are you going to be thinking about if things are pure? They're lovely. They're of good report. How much time do you think about that list? And what does he say do with it? He says, I don't, I'm not asking you to read that list. He says, I'm asking you to meditate upon that list. Where you study over what does it mean, but then take your eyes off the book. Once you understand what it means, 
Then you look inward. What does that mean if I live it out tomorrow? What does that look like if I live that at home, at work, at school, at college, in the military, wherever it is, what does that look like? That's what it means to meditate upon these things. And so what, what's that going to produce? Notice this, this next slide that kind of sums up this section. God will give you peace. If you meditate on these things, and I'd like for you to read, if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse nine, still there in the fourth chapter. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that beautiful? Verse seven said the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Verse nine says the God of peace will be with you. And what is before and after verse seven and, and, and nine, what's before and after those two verses? Pray, meditate on things that are good and allow that prayer and meditation be the way God guards your heart. A pure, good, holy heart. A mind that is constantly thinking and meditating on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and a good report. That's what to have a heart of peace. I like what Angela Hammock said in her advice. She said, recognize distractions or temptations and come up with a mental plan to avoid those or to deal with those. That's what meditation is. Meditation is when we study the Word of God and then say, now, I want to figure out how to take those passages and live those out. So when I'm challenged, how can I live these things out? That's beautiful. That's what God will do. God will give us peace. God will relieve us of our anxiety. God will guard our heart if we learn to pray the way He teaches us to pray and read and meditate the way He teaches us to read and meditate. And then... Finally, I'd like for you to see in, in this chapter that, that God will give us strength through Jesus Christ. You remember verse 10, 11, and 12 is about us learning contentment. And, and we see that especially in verse 11. And then he even says in 12, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And it's in that context that he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What will God do? God says, I'll strengthen you. If you just learn to lean on me, trust me, do things my way. In other words, submit your will to my will. When? The best of days. But also in the hardest of times. That's what verse 11 and 12 is all about. When things are really hard, when things are really good, what are you going to do? I've learned to be content with God. Well, what about when you don't have enough? You know what? Maybe God doesn't want me to have enough right now. Oh, that's easy to say, but can we live it? What about when we have so much? You know what? God's still enough. These things that you have, they're not your God, are they? Our contentment is found in God, not in your portfolio. Contentment is found in God, not in the athlete you are or the ACT score. Some of you are glad, right? And, but where, where do we find? Where do we find that kind of life? We find it being strengthened through Jesus Christ. None of us 
None of us have an ounce of holiness about us if you separate any of us from God. In your mind's eye, you pick out the person in this room that you think is just the sweetest, holiest, godliest person and you separate them from God and there's not an ounce of godliness in them. There's not an ounce of holiness in them. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ can make me look a whole lot like God. I mean that in a respectful way. And without Christ, without God, we're filthy rags. We're nothing. What can God do? God can strengthen us. But now in these last few minutes, I'd like for you to think about what can we as a congregation do. I'd like for you to drop back to the first chapter. And we're going to be able to cover these quickly because several of the things I'm going to mention are things we mentioned this morning. And so we're just going to mention the scriptures. You're going to see them and we're going to take it away. But just because we covered this last point quickly, please do not miss the significance of this. We are asking us as a congregation, will you from now till Christmas be involved in our high school seniors transition of their first semester, their, their first six months into this transition of, of work or military or college, will you be involved in their life? We've talked about what I can do. We've talked about what God will do. But now let's talk about what we can do. One thing we all can do as we all can be fervent in prayer. You remember back in the first chapter, he began in verse three, and we read this this morning, that, that about him always praying for them. But I'd like for you to notice in verse nine what his prayer for them really was. In verse nine, he says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, and that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. How long? Till the day of Christ. Now, what kind of life is that going to produce? His prayer for them was being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. Isn't that powerful? I know you're a loving group is what Paul is saying. But my prayer is that your love will just keep growing. Abound is the idea in Greek of a, of a river overflowing its banks. He says, I want your love to just continue to abound still more and more. But this love is not just like an emotional love. This love is rooted, notice there, it's rooted in knowledge. And that knowledge is going to help them make better decisions, discernment. And then when we go down to verse 10, in that is going to help us to approve the things that are excellent. And live a life that's sincere and a life that's not going to be a life of offense. Maybe some days you want to pray these three verses for our graduates, for our varsity age. Maybe other days you may have other things that you want to pray for them. But I'm asking you as a family of God that has helped raise up these wonderful young people Will you regularly be praying for them? I hope you will. I hope you'll set an alarm on your phone. I hope you'll make a note on your prayer journal. I hope it'll be etched in your heart. That is one thing we can do. A second thing that I'd like for you to see as we use Paul's language is we all can remain. Now, I know that may sound strange to say it that way, but you remember we read that this morning. You remember over there later on in the first chapter, he talked about in 23 that he had this desire 
Hey, you remember like in 21, uh, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And then in 23, for I'm hard pressed between the two, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. But notice in 24, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by the coming of you again. What does Paul mean when he says, I'm going to remain? He's saying, look, if I had my wish, a selfish wish, I'd rather go ahead and die because I know that I would spend eternity with the Lord and, and that's just the best. But he says, I can tell you this. If I don't go ahead and die right now, what I want to do is I want to remain with you. And I'm going to stay and I'm going to work with you. And my goal is that my life working and serving the Lord with you is going to be a blessing to you. That's beautiful. If God gives you five more years to live, that's it. If God just gave you five more years to live, and you remained with your family for five years, what kind of blessing would your family receive because you remained? If this church family existed and you remained for five more years, what kind of blessings would this church family receive because you remained? Let's bring it a little bit more narrow and a little more focused. If God allows you to live to Christmas and you remain, what blessing will you be to our high school graduates because you remained? Paul says, if God allows me to remain, I'm going to be a blessing to you. I'm going to make a difference in your life. We can pray and we can remain. The last thing I'd like to see, and this is the last, this is the end of the lesson. I'd like to see that we also can stay connected. Maybe you're already connected and you can stay connected. Maybe you're not connected and maybe you can connect with this age group in some way. Do you remember what we read earlier today in 27, 28? Notice only let your, still in chapter one, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to be leaving him, but also to suffer for him, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. How was he connected? The most important way that we could ever be connected to each other and, and connected to our high school graduates, the most important way is that we're connected because we're all unified with God. We all live lives worthy of the gospel. Listen, you go out and you devote your life to the Lord and you live your life worthy of the gospel. God, you tell me how you want me to live and the best of my ability, I'll surrender myself to you. And you get a high school graduate that's 17 or 18 years old and they say the same thing. Lord, I'm, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to live a life worthy of the gospel. Now, that high school graduate is living in unity of the spirit and you are living in unity of the spirit. So now what have you done? Now you two are unified. That's the greatest connection there can be. The connection that we all are living lives worthy of the gospel. 
But did you notice another connection in these verses we just read? Another connection was him saying, you know what? You know what? I'm not with you right now, but I want to be. I look forward to visiting you again. You know what our college age struggles with oftentimes? When they come back home, sometimes they don't feel like they have a home to come back to because they feel like, like nobody really cares anymore. Like nobody even noticed that I was away or they don't even notice I'm back home and I feel like I'm visiting the church that I grew up in. I don't think there's any adult here that intends to do that. But we need to be aware of that. Paul was not only a great man of God, Paul was a great friend. It's amazing how many times when you read in Scripture, Paul talks about staying connected. He sends letters to say hello. He sends letters to send greetings. He sends letters to, to check on people, to encourage people. Now, I've already shared with you the third thing now, and I didn't mean to say it just then, but I just said it. He was united in the Spirit with them. He wanted to be united in person with them. And since he couldn't be united in person, he wrote them a letter. Isn't that beautiful? We're not all going to go to college with our graduates. We're not going to go to the military with our graduates. But we could really make an effort to stay connected. There's a responsibility to the graduates to do this. Joey says, I just noticed I have her maiden name. Sorry about that. Um, Joey says, don't lose touch with your home congregation. It's hard coming home and still being involved at a church when you've been gone for four months. Try anyway. That is such sound counsel. Young people, you have a responsibility to stay connected to the Lord's church. Just like we ought to make a sincere effort, you ought to make a sincere effort. And talking about us making a sincere effort and then bringing it even closer to our personal families, I love what Julie Plummer said about this. She said, after graduating and getting married, my mother called me on Sunday mornings just to make sure I went to church. After getting married, she decided to ask, what was the sermon about? Or what did Cater Cruz wear to church? Just to make sure that we went. She's very smart. Parents, what do you value? What are you going to instill in your, your children? We can't live their life. We all get that. Our children can decide to go another path. But what are our children going to know that we care about? What are they going to know for certain we care about? When we stay connected, what is our connection going to be encouraging? That's the real question. As we stay connected, what are we going to be encouraging? Listen, over the next few weeks, we have a few more weeks before our kids go off to college. But over the next few weeks, we're going to ask about 36 of you. 
If you will stay in touch, if, if they want it, we're going to ask them first if they want it and however many of them want it. We're going to ask that many of you if you'd send a text to them once a week, just for the first semester, once a week. If you have an interest in whether it's, you may say, I don't text, if you want to write a letter, whatever to keep in constant contact, will you send a, an email to Shannon Buckner at mountainjuliet.org? Uh, if you want to write it on a card, hey, I have interest in doing it in at the end of services. Uh, if let us know, that'll be more structure in its, in its organization coming soon. But listen, those are some things we can do. We can pray. And we can remain and say, as long as I'm here, I want to encourage you. And we can stay connected. And when you think about it, that's just what family's supposed to do. So let's be a strong, godly, healthy family and really love and care for each other. Because after all, there are some things that's worth fighting for. And your soul is worth fighting for. There is one who wants to kill and steal and destroy, but don't let him have his way. The Lord wanted to make sure that he didn't have it that way so much so that he came and he died on the cross so that we could have the way of salvation. God's love, his mercy, and his grace is amazing. What do you press toward? If you hit your mark, what mark are you going to hit? Let's make sure tonight that we all thrive because we have one mark and it's the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. If you're ready tonight to be baptized into Christ or you're ready to be restored and we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.